In this episode, we discuss the fundamentals of the industrial Internet of Things. We talk about the industrial IoT technology stack, open technologies, the functions of an IoT edge device, the role of SCADA in IoT, IoT implementation, best practices for IoT security, and the critical skills for IoT system integration. My guest on this episode is Benson Hogland, who is the Vice President at Opto22. With over 30 years experience in information technology and industrial automation, Benson drives strategy for Opto22 products, connecting real-world OT to the systems and networks of IT. Benson speaks at trade shows and conferences, including IBM Think, ACForum, and ISA. His 2014 TEDx talk introduces non-technical people to the IoT. Quick thank you to our sponsors. This episode is made possible by our friends at HiveMQ, who are providers of an MQTT broker. Check them out on the link in the description below to support this channel. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry40.tv, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn industrial IoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So make sure to subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and connect with me on LinkedIn at Kutsai Manditeres. Now, here's my interview with Benson. Okay, uh, Benson, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. So, uh, welcome. Thank you, Kuzai. I am thrilled to be here. This is a, a terrific program you put together, and I'm just uh, honored to be involved. Thank you for the invitation. Great stuff. Okay, so today uh, I really want to talk to you about the, the fundamentals of uh, industrial IoT. Uh, particularly as far as uh, manufacturing uh, is concerned. So uh, I guess my, my first question to you is, uh, why should uh, manufacturers care at all about uh, industrial IoT? It's a good question. And uh, frankly, I don't think they should care at all. I know that sounds bizarre, but you know, I think part of what we're dealing with right now, especially in manufacturing, is there's a lot of people really caught up in the in the marketing of of IIoT and, and industry 4.0 and not sure what it's called and and every, you know there's there's just a lot of confusion and uh, and sometimes those terms come up and they're like yep they you know they shut off you know what this is fundamentally about is is the democratization of data i mean at the end of the day it's it's a com combination of different technologies that, that help us share different data types to be better decision makers or whether to live our lives better. You know, I, I did a TEDx talk on the Internet of Things seven years ago, and uh, it was before really even IIoT was really starting to take off. And it was in every magazine and every article. Uh, and it really focused, again, on on the personal I IOT or I should say IOT only, you know, things like your watch or your, you know, your smart coffee maker or, or whatever and how it could or maybe not change your life in a, in a positive way. And, and the purpose of that too was, was really not to talk about so much the technology pieces and parts, but what were the fundamental reasons you would do it or the reasons you might not. 
Um, and, uh, and, and to me, when you're talking about in manufacturing, you know, you're really just trying to get information where it needs to be in a secure way in a very high performance manner and try to address some of the issues with doing that that we have today, largely with older technology. Some people call it industry 3.0. Uh, you know, again, a term that nobody knows what it means until somebody explains it. Uh, but fundamentally, there are some issues relative to how we move data around an enterprise, whether that enterprise is, you know, on premise, whether it has a cloud connectivity piece, whether I need to share that with another partner, another software company, whatever. So to me, uh, the reason why manufacturers should care about it is because they want to streamline their operations. They want to produce a better product or a better service at lower cost and you know, generally higher profit. And they wanna have a, a, a clear picture of what's going on in their organization at, in real time. And uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of folks out there that are, are telling a similar story, um, you know, clearly on the, on the internet, uh, through YouTube, like what you're doing as well. Um, and so it's an amalgamation really of all of those ideas to streamline and improve and provide, and to me, one of the things I like to focus on in this call too, is the application of this notion of IOT can help address other long-standing issues in our industry. And one of those is clearly security, so. Yeah, okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's a good thing because we're also going to touch on uh, security uh, towards the end of this uh, call. So now, uh, as far as the implementation of industrial IOT is concerned, uh, what does a, a complete industrial IoT technology stack uh, look like to you? Yeah, so, you know, sometimes it's helpful. There, there's a lot of technologies thrown around, a lot of concepts, you know, I have MQTT and OPC and this and that. And you know what, sometimes it, it's, it's helpful to put this in context and, and kind of take a look back at how did we get here, right? How yeah. did we get to the point today where we're doing things that we th couldn't think possible decades ago. Trust me, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, for example, uh, you know, in the 80s was the onset, uh, the onset of something called PC-based control. This idea that I could take a, a standard personal computer, and back in the day it was IBM or Compaq or Dell uh, and so on, and use this computer to communicate with plant floor machinery, uh, uh, maybe a remote site, whatever. But it was the, this notion of general computing power rather than very specific purpose-built devices. And back then, of course, it was generally an early a model PLC, a modicon or something like that. Uh, and so this notion of general computing kind of broke free there. In fact, so much to the degree, it completely changed the computer industry. Rather than everything being mainframe or minis, now people had PCs on their desks and they had software that would allow them to do word processing or crunch numbers. So, and then subsequent to that, to a certain degree, we saw a lot of, uh, in the nineties, we started recognizing the power of the PC and saying, well, rather than a desktop PC, how do we maybe get that into an industrial box? Uh, and so we saw a lot of developments there. And, and some of the things that made that interesting was one of them that was a key, a key piece of technology, it is very prevalent in what we're doing today, was Ethernet. And, and you may think, well, Ethernet's been around forever. Well, really, it hasn't. It really, and it never really got on the plant floor until the very late 90s. 
And uh, the reason for that was numerous, but uh, the, the, uh, the big one is many of the industry uh, titans, let's say, didn't, didn't want to see Ethernet on the plant floor because that opened things up. And, and Ethernet's just a, a wire medium, right? It could be wireless, it could be whatever. But the true magic there was something called TCP IP. So even though we had Ethernet in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, it was that TCP IP, what I call the dial tone, right? So the dial tone gave me that opportunity to use Ethernet or wireless or some other physical medium to create connections. And that's what TCP is. TCP is a transport control protocol. It's allowing me to create connections between two things. So this became a very important part of our journey to where we are today. Uh, and then layer on top of TCP, uh, TCP IP was you know, various protocols that uh, allowed us to start to intercommunicate. Another thing that in our industry was pushed back on because we had proprietary protocols everywhere. And that was vendor lock-in and, you know, even from us, from our philosophy, our, our approach to you know, development of products and so on at Opto22 has always been, how do we combine this OT, this notion of OT ruggedness with this open and, and uh, uh, available and ubiquitous IT technology? And that's where we start to see all these you know, PC-based control, TCP IP, Ethernet start to bundle in. Then you had the onslaught of M2M and machine to machine, which was arguably the predecessor uh, uh, to, to what we call IIoT today. Um, but it, again, all these technologies became part of what your question is, is what's that IoT technology stack? So it actually starts at a pretty low layer. And then as we bundle things on in 1999, was the, uh, you know, of course, the MQTT protocol designed to solve a given problem. But then once you have these protocols and we have these connections, now we need to be able to uh, distribute data or democratize data in a meaningful way. And we've seen a lot of different ways to do that, but those ultimately come down to some degrees of, of a protocol or an application protocol. And the prevalent ones are obvious, HTTPS, perhaps HTML, you know, there's several on the on the website of things. Uh, there's JSON. You know, JSON is is well suited for the, the beauty of JSON. Of course, is its ability, uh, its metadata. Right? There's JSON as a way of describing the data that's in the document. So that makes it easy to parse and understand uh, the data. And of course, today, one of the things that we're seeing that we think is an important part of the industrial IoT uh, industrial IoT technology stack. It is Sparkplug B and Sparkplug B, of course, is a is a version of a uh, a protocol. It's basically a payload definition and much more uh, over the MQTT transport protocol. So we think that that becomes an important way of expressing data um, and creating a you know valid namespace so that others can consume data and start getting to work on making that data useful right away. So that's where I'd start. Um, naturally, I think a lot of Virtually all the technology I just described, I think that in, in IIoT applications, it makes sense to push those technologies down to their lowest level. And of course, there we're talking about edge computing, right? And everybody's got their own definition of edge. Where's the edge? And basically, to me, the edge is, is where the source of the data is. And, uh, and I think that is also an important part from a hardware perspective uh, a, a very important part of the technology stack for successful IoT implementation. Not just because I want to run code there or because it is at the edge, but 
and this is this becomes very important from a technology stack perspective. There are clients and there's servers. And in OT, maybe some people call it master slave. I, I'm not going to go down that path, but I will say that the world of devices in the IoT is made up of clients and servers. Clients talk, servers listen. And one thing I'll tell you is, if there's any one takeaway from this, it's uh, IoT should be fewer servers and more clients. Fewer servers and more clients. And the reason for that uh, is, you know, numerous. But one, and we'll get to it, I'm sure later, is security. A, secu a server is is a security vulnerability. A client generally doesn't need to be. So oh, okay. there's your that's, technology stack. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. That's a very interesting take on it. So now uh, one terminology that gets uh, thrown around uh, a lot as well is uh, open <laughs> technologies. Uh, mm -hmm. What exactly does it mean to say a technology is, is open? And uh, what are the benefits of, of, of using open technologies in IIoT? Yes, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough topic. And it's not a tough topic. It's just that there's a lot of people who have a, their own definitions of what that means. For example, it could be open source, right? And uh, the notion of open source code, yeah. which we are huge. Uh, we love open source. Uh, a lot of our products are, are made with open source uh, code bases. And then there's the other level that is, well, maybe it's not open source code that we're gonna share the actual code, but we're going to provide a way of interacting with that code without a royalty, without a license, right? So you're not necessarily giving up the code base, but you are providing a very simple and public and a published way of interacting with, the, say, it's a service or a, a class or, or whatever. Um, and then there's uh, others who uh, call something open because it's a de facto standard. For example, Microsoft Windows. You know, it's the de facto standard, so it's somewhat open. I would argue otherwise, but um, that's, you know, again, how people define things. For us, the benefit to the industry for open technologies is the ability to harness and, and to a certain degree, exploit uh, all code that's already out there to provide better services, better technologies, uh, better ways of moving data around. And uh, we believe that it's important for those types of technologies to be freely available to anyone because for a number of reasons. One, um, it, it's, it spreads innovation. Um, two, it generally prevent, uh, prevents vendor lock-in. And that's a, that's a kind of a big deal. I mean, we, we hate to be locked into a, a given uh, architecture, a given product set. Uh, you want to be able to share, you know, use the type, kind of technologies. I can use it with this vendor, use it with this vendor, uh, use it with this vendor. The other one, and particularly in the security arena uh, and the operating system arena, uh, is that notion of you have a large group of people that are part of the community and they're all watching each other's backs. They're all applying software updates. They're all looking at where, you know, vulnerabilities may exist. So it's a crowdsourced approach to solving software problems, particularly in, in the open source uh, software realm. So we think that's, that's equally important. And then a lot of people think, well, wait a minute, if it's open source, then I've got no support or where do I go? You know, where do I go if I need some help? Well, the good news is obviously there's a massive open source community out there that can help you anytime you need it. 
I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta ask. But the second part is there are some really valuable technologies in IIoT that are not necessarily open source, but were built on open source methodologies. For example, uh, the, the Chariot Broker from SiriusLink Solutions, a terrific product. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a commercial product. Let's yeah. not be, you know, let's not kid ourselves. From the inventors of NQTT, which is terrific. But it is a commercial product, but it was based upon Mosquito, which is open source. Uh, same with our, our friends at HiveMQ. Right, so the HiveMQ has got a terrific cloud platform for MQTT, uh, or an on-premise solution for MQTT uh, as a broker. And yes, I'm kind of focused on MQTT right now. But the point being is that those are both commercial solutions with support, with you know licensing and 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 so on. Uh, but it's based on open source. So you know you say same thing for the TCP/IP stack. Oh, you know, that's that's another one. You know you can say the same thing for the Linux OS. You can build your own Linux OS with open source components. Yeah. Most people don't. They'll go get Ubuntu or they'll get CentOS or, you know, and we, for our products, we chose to use a Yocto recipe builder to build our Linux OS for our hardware platforms, but it's all built on open source. Yeah, so. yeah no, I think that really clears, clears things up a lot. That really clears things up a lot. So now, uh, I, I believe that the, the IoT device that, that, that sits at the factory floor, collecting all the data, uh, plays a pivotal role as far as, 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 as the entire uh, IoT solution uh, is, is concerned. So uh, now, what would you say um, are the principal functions of, of such a, a device? Terrific question, and one that is clearly uh, up for debate right now. So I'm going to give you my view. <laughs> um, and I'm going to start by saying, well, first of all, it's going to be around this notion of the edge. And of course, my own definition uh, of, of what that means. In fact, let me, let me take a moment to give you an, an analogy of where I believe this notion of edge really is. And, and in short, I think the, one of the things that's driven this notion of edge is available compute power that's far different than anything we've ever seen. I mean, let's talk about computing power for just a minute. Look at that guy. Yeah. Arguably, one of the most powerful, smallest, most ubiquitous computers we have on the planet today. The yeah. amount of power and compute and, and software capabilities of this device is extraordinary. And that's what's kind of driven this whole idea of what you could potentially do at the edge. So when I look at what I want to do with, uh, you know, uh, what kind of system or what kind of, what are the functions of that device? The truth is, we don't know. We know what's possible and we know what can possibly be, you know, in the future, we know what could possibly happen because we saw it here. What started off as a way to make a phone call then read your email, then take a photo, then get the temperature, then determine if you're tilted. I mean, once you get the compute power there, there's so many things you can do. So today, what I believe, and this is available today, there is a way of using edge compute in an IIoT situation that does way more than just grab data, contextualize it, and send it off somewhere. Yeah. There's way more that you can do with that. And, um, and, and one quick example, I've got a, a right here behind me, 
I've got a, uh, a demonstration I'll pop up here. And this is a, a forget that it's opto. Really what I'm talking about is edge compute power here, an edge programmable industrial controller that is doing a lot of things in an IoT setting. One, it's a real-time controller. It is actually running a control program. So at first you're gonna, you're gonna say, well, wait, hey, hang on, hang on. Is IoT really about control? I'm saying it can be because it has real-time control uh, capabilities. It's got extensions to Linux to do this. So number one, real-time control. Number two, human machine interface. If I have local, like I remember in, in Rick's interview with you, Rick talked about this notion of why are we moving all the data up to the cloud uh, yeah. just to get the, the data back so I can see what's going on. I need local operator interface. Edge compute gives me that. And also the ability to just run it out on an HDMI cable to a monitor. So this, this actually ends up being like a small computer. That's two, HMI. Number three, how do I gather data from other devices and put them into an application that could use them, whether locally here or say move them over an IT network to a cloud application, to, uh, to a database, uh, to a spreadsheet. You would be shocked at how many people still use spreadsheets. Um, how you would, would move that data, say, to an MQTT broker and so on and so on. So that's, that's three, right? But, um, four, and this one's important. These devices that you're communicating to on the plant floor today, and there are millions of them on the plant floor today, are 100% unsecure. 100% unsecure. There, I can, if I have access to this LAN, I can, from a cyber perspective, I can log into those, those PLCs in a second and wreak havoc. And so one of the most important functions that I believe people are overlooking on a true edge compute IoT device is its ability to segment an unsecured network, what we call a trusted network, meaning you know everybody who's on that network, from an untrusted network like a corporate LAN or even the internet. So now you're really talking about an edge device that does more than just collect data or, or send it to, uh, to where it needs to be, but now has some compute power to do many of these other functions. And the way that that works is you choose a compute platform that's potentially you know, open, uh, in this case, it's ARM and Linux, whatever. Uh, and it has the ability to run various software applications. So when I talk about the power of this, it's, it's like when these products first came out, they did the first two, yeah. control and HMI. But because, it's, because you can build on that on the same platform, you can extend its functionality by orders of magnitude by adding yeah. new software. Here's a classic example. You bought a Tesla back in, I don't know, what was it, 2015 or whatever. Uh, I can't even remember the date, so don't hold me down to that. But here's what's happened. Tesla's are out in the field. Consumer Reports does a, a brake test on a Tesla. It fails. I, mean, I shouldn't say fails. It did poorly. Tesla was able to look at the software, make a change, download that to Tesla cars over their update during the evening, and apply new technology from a software level that improved the braking to the degree that Consumer Reports said, yep, this is good. That's the power of edge computing. That's the power of putting the right platforms together. It's going to give you new functionality. You can't do that with PLCs today. You just, you just can't. Yeah, that's this very interesting. That's, that's quite interesting. Now, I mean, from, even from the way that you, you, you 
you, you describe uh, industrial IT or the edge computing aspect, uh, it really changes how we think about industrial uh, systems. It's to, to a certain degree, it, it sort of disrupts uh, traditional architectures. So mm -hmm. with that said, what do you see as being the role of, 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 of say, SCADA in, a, in, a, in an IRT world? That's, that's an excellent question. And, um, and I have some, you know, we're, we're not in the SCADA software uh, business sure. per se, uh, Opto, we're hardware manufacturers, but, um, but we deal a lot with SCADA folks because naturally what we do on a plant floor or connected to IO or, or at a remote site connected to some asset is we have generally always been the, the type of equipment that sends data to SCADA, or I should say, generally those are in the old days, those are servers and SCADA comes and gets it. So the, the notion of SCADA has always been, you know, supervisory control and data acquisition. This idea of, you know, supervising devices in the field, or it could be on the plant floor. Either way, I mean, the distance doesn't necessarily dictate whether it's SCADA or not. It's just the communications to, to devices. And so, uh, you know, in both of those cases, SCADA has always generally gone to the device in one way or another to get the data it needs to provide supervisory control, data acquisition, alarming, historical, yada, yada, everything that SCADA does. But that's changing because there's a lot of different ways now to decouple the software SCADA from the hardware. And there's, there's a number of ways to do this. Let me talk about the one that's most prevalent today, OPC. We've all heard of OPC. There's, and the reason I know a little bit about OPC uh, is because this first draft of that specification of the OPC spec was in 1996, literally 50 yards down this hall. We were a founding member of OPC. And the reason we did that was to solve this so-called SCADA problem, which again is another one of those building blocks that we talked about before for the technology stack. We, the reason we did this, and let me give you a real quick analogy there. OPC was basically taking the Microsoft, Microsoft was a, a of key component of us and the four companies that developed OPC uh, spec. Back, back then it was called Olay for process control for those who, who care. Um, but the idea was to take the printer driver model from the Microsoft Windows platform and apply it to industrial controls. Here was the problem they were trying to solve. Microsoft was working with you know, WordPerfect at the time or Lotus 123 or this, that, and the other. And each of those software platforms had their own printer drivers. So if I wanted to print a spreadsheet or I wanted to print a word processing document, I had to go to those software vendors to get the printer drivers. And I was limited by which printer drivers they had. Microsoft pulled together this notion of a printer definition and basically a, a model for, hey, listen, your, your software goes to the printer model, we'll take care of making sure we have drivers to all the printers, then all the applications can share all the printers. That was the fundamental uh, element, let's, let's call it an architecture behind OPC. Create a piece of software that would know how to do a pull response mechanism to PLCs of all kinds and expose that in a, in a, a model, a, a data information model that was OPC. And that worked and that helped SCADA a ton, the likes of Wonderware and iFix and you know, Fix DMAX if you're as old as I am, uh, or you know, Iconics and there's numbers of, of, them, uh, of those out there. That was all, OPC was a very key piece in making those systems much better. Uh, 
However, the problem with that is it, it kind of helps SCADA to a certain degree, but it still didn't solve, again, a fundamental problem I brought up earlier. All of those PLCs on the, on the backside of an OPC server, whether it's OPC or OPC UA, doesn't matter, is still open and unsecure. So you have a fundamental flaw in the system in the sense that you have all these servers with open ports. And yes, you can put OPC in the middle, but guess what? OPC itself is a server yeah. and subject to attack and subject to somebody getting in there and seeing what's going on or, or accessing PLCs. And that's why when you look at SCADA um, and what the role of SCADA in IoT world is, it can be the same, but it doesn't necessarily have to use the same models for getting that data. And of course, now I'm gonna obviously talk about MQTT and this notion that at the edge, MQTT clients will send their data to somewhere and, uh, and then SCADA consumes that as they need it. So. I think the role of SCADA is changing in the sense that SCADA doesn't need to be directly coupled to devices any longer. There's technologies that exist that that doesn't have to happen anymore. And that dramatically reduces the attack plane from a security standpoint, can significantly improve performance and makes it much easier to manage all the systems in play. Can you do it with OPC? They are looking at, you know, as, as you know, they're looking at pub sub models and OPC. In fact, there's some that are arguably implemented, but um, it doesn't really matter. What, what matters is get rid of the servers, make everything clients, make SCADA a client, uh, and then go from there. So. That, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It makes uh, total sense. Now, uh, practically speaking, uh, what, what would you say are the factors, like the key factors to consider uh, when, when, when implementing uh, industrial IIT, uh, uh, first in a brownfield environment and, and, and also in a, in, a, in a greenfield environment? Well, wouldn't we all love to be able to be involved in greenfield projects? <laughs> yeah. You get to start with a clean slate. You get to use the latest technologies, uh, assuming that you have a level of reliability and, uh, and support uh, with the chosen platform. Uh, but uh, greenfields, you know, that's easy. There's yeah. a lot of different ways you can use technologies today to address that. But let's be honest. We live in a brownfield world, you know, that's and true. even if you, even if you are uh, fortunate enough to build a, out a system in a very, you know, in a greenfield way, the likelihood is it's got to integrate with brownfield devices anyway. At some level, at some level, um, unless you're totally like on an island and it doesn't have to share data with anything. So the, the concept of, you know, greenfield to, to brownfield to me <clears throat> is you want to probably try to use a technology stack and, a, and, a, and a, a set of technologies that is equally suitable to both. Uh, and I, and that's, that's kind of a weird concept because you're like, well, if I'm starting on fresh, I'm not going to have to worry about all that other stuff or doing things the other, you know, a different way. But what if products were, uh, you know, built in a way that it allow you to address greenfield applications quickly, simply cost effectively with high security and performance, but you could do the same for brownfield devices because they exist, they're out there. Let's make the most use of those that we possibly can by, again, using I, um, edge technology. So we have a lot of customers that are doing this today. Uh, and then there's a lot of it happening in the, in the world uh, in terms of people who are doing digital transformation projects is how do they leverage those brownfield devices? How do they get the right devices that work really well in both environments? 
And, you know, I, I get it. You're going to be under a fair amount of constraints in a brownfield environment, you know, in terms of communications, technologies, what softwares are available and so on. But once again, this application of edge technologies in a hardware perspective for, you know, providing a secure gateway, for providing resiliency, robustness, reliability, uh, you know, things you would expect from an OT, you know, vendor of whoever your choice is, combined with this ability to run some interesting software that will take advantage of communicating those brownfield devices and then putting them into a digital transformation uh, framework so that all that data can be shared by others. I hope that was a yeah yeah that, that's, yeah that makes sense that makes sense. Now you, you have already uh, as you have already highlighted uh, security is really crucial when it comes to uh, internet connected uh, systems. So did you have like any best practices as far uh, when it comes to securing uh, an inertial IoT solution? Uh, absolutely. Um, and it, it kind of comes back to that core concept I brought up earlier, and that is, you know, this notion of servers and clients, you know, servers listen. And uh, when something is listening, you want to make sure only uh, the people that are allowed to talk to it uh, can. And, you know, the good news here is that from an you know, outside of IIoT and just general IT practitioner uh, practice, uh, we solve those problems. We have, you know, we have certificates, we have authentication, we have encryption, we have all these things. And so uh, in terms of best practices, you know, these are mentioned over and over and they're all valid, you know, passwords, uh, you know, uh, making sure that you don't have open ports on a system, you know, you're, you have a username and password that's not a default is, you know, based to the, in fact, you know, this is, this is so interesting. This week alone, uh, we were talking to uh, a company that's in a digital transformation project and uh, you know, they had stumbled upon our products. So we talked about them, but they were also using kind of their own product. They start off with a raspberry Pi. Next thing you know, they're using a little SBC, a uh, little single board computer. That's basically an industrial kind of like an IPC, I guess you could say. Here was the thing. I was like, Oh, what's the model number for that? And I type it in into the inter you know, into the Google and it comes back in plain as day. Default username and password, default accounts, default IP address. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're talking about industrial devices here. Yeah. With def I just, my first click on the, on the Google showed all the, that's, that's got to go away. One, eliminate or reduce the amount of servers on the plant floor. And a PLC is a server. It listens. You ask it something, it responds. That's the pull response model. So if it's, if it's listening, you have to have security. You have to have the ability to have accounts on that thing. Uh, you know, you create an admin account, you create other accounts. It has to have the ability to not have default username and passwords. It's got to have encryption. It's got to have authentication. And in a lot of cases, you know, again, using edge technologies, we can protect all those with devices that have everything I just described. Yeah. This notion of no defaults, this notion of accounts and accounts is important because, you know, there's a, a really uh, interesting topic that uh, Rob Tiffany brought up on, on his meeting with you. And that was this notion of orchestration and orchestration is critically important in I, IOT applications. And I, there's some really cool software things that are happening right now uh, relative to that. I, I hope to get to later, but in the case of accounts, you know, it has figured out a lot of this stuff. 
Today, when you pop your, your laptop on the corporate network, it goes and gets a DHCP IP address. It registers its name with DNS. It, when you attempt to log in, it checks against an LDAP compliance server to make sure you have the right account uh, credentials. And it does all this over encrypted channels. Well, some of that is done over encrypted channels. But it's all as that PC is as a client to go do all that. So why can't we take some of that technology that's centrally managed, audited, logged, and apply it to edge devices. Here's the thing. We can. It's available. You can do it. Same as these guys do it. You know, yeah. it's, I, I got face ID or I got some other way of, you know, whether locally or on the network uh, doing accounts. So accounts is big. Uh, you know, obviously default username and passwords. It's, you know, using certificates. They're here. They're available. When I log on to Google right now, I get a little padlock that says I'm connected securely because I'm communicating over HTTPS. And I've encrypted that tunnel. That means everything I send to Google, somebody can't come in this way and start getting at it. And so you know, it, it's man in the middle attacks is what yeah. that's called. So the, this, the beauty of, of encryption now is that in the old days, it took a lot of compute power. But today we have that compute power whether it's on our phone, whether it's on a, you know, a device like this, it now has the CPU and, the, and capabilities and software to perform server certifications here. So this device, for example, on this corporate LAN will not accept a connection unless it's encrypted and authenticated with a user, valid username and password, either locally on the device or on LDAP. So that becomes an important consideration when you're looking at, at security. So authentication, encryption, account management, TLS or SSL, people still call it that, uh, support. Those, those represent the foundation of what you need to do uh, from a, a best practices and security. Now, what about all those devices that don't have it? That's the beauty of, again, edge technology. Take a look at here. I won't allow any connections to this, uh, this uh, real-time controller over the IT network, except HTTPS 443 secure encrypted connections. However, over on this side, these guys don't have any of that. So this kind of becomes the, the, one of the most important things that we need to focus on for IoT applications and security moving forward. And I, you know who is saying it best, dare I say? Rockwell Automation. You probably know that uh, just recently, February, so now two months ago, there was another massive exploit uh, recognized by a company called Clarity uh, that uh, it's an exploit on all, not virtually any PLC uh, from, from Alan Bradley. I'm not bagging on these guys. I'm just because all PLCs suffer from this. But what the mitigation that uh, Alan Bradley came back with was, hey, segment your networks. Not necessarily air gap, but segment your networks. In other words, come up with a way, again, using what I believe is edge technology, and we're not the only ones that can do this. We just happen to do it pretty well, is segment that OT network from any other network. And then know anybody who's on this network and, and manage that as a trusted network, but still allow data to flow where it needs to be with the software tools that are available here. So segmenting is, is something that uh, not enough people are doing right now. Uh, the technology is available. Uh, it absolutely uh, solves that big problem of having, again, servers here, because these are servers with open ports, uh, and protect them with some sort of uh, you know, edge edge device. Oh, cool! That's really cool. So now, uh, 
when it comes to uh, the implementation of RIT, uh, one thing that I've realized is that uh, some, if not most system integrators really don't know where to start. And, and, mm -hmm. and maybe it's because it's such a mix up, mixture of concepts from different domains, something that they're not really used uh, to, 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 to working with. So what would you say are the skills that are critical to learn for system integrators that are looking to, to go into uh, industrial IoT? So it's an excellent question. Now, from my perspective, uh, I, I, have a, um, I have an IT background uh, and that has helped obviously tremendously. And, and if there's anything that I would say that uh, is important is just as you described, if you're squarely in the OT space, anything you can learn about the IT domain do it. And you know what? It doesn't mean you got to run down the hall to your IT guy and say, how did this work? And how did that work? You'd be, you'd be surprised at how much IT technology, much of what I just described in, 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 this, uh, in, in this call is in your home. You know, your router. <laughs> A lot of people think, oh, that's just the way to get on you know, the Wi-Fi and get on the internet. True. But what it has built into that little box connected to the internet are a lot of tools that, uh, and a, a lot of technologies that if you understand them will take you a long way towards getting a better uh, understanding of, you know, true IIoT devices. And, and, and that I think is kind of the key that, as I said earlier, our engineering philosophy at Opto for product development has always been this notion of, again, taking OT, reliable, robust OT technologies and combine them with IT. And, uh, and IT and a lot of that is, is generally software, but Ethernet became a component of that and so on. And, and, and I agree. I think that, that if you're looking to be successful in your digital transformation projects or getting involved in applying IoT technologies, the, the stack or whatever, um, that, that little bit of, of IT domain knowledge will become critical. And the, here's the good news. It's everywhere. Let's be honest. If I wanted to know something about OT, uh, how to wire up a 4 to 20 transmitter, uh, how to uh, you know, energize an, uh, an AC output to uh, send to a drive, you know how many resources are on the internet for that? Not a ton. There's yeah. some, but not a ton. Yeah. But if I want to know how IP addressing works, or I want to know how to wire up a Cat5 a Cat5e cable, millions of hits. Thanks. So the, it's all there. Uh, but I would just recommend starting with your home. Hey, how did this work? And how did that work? And get into your router and see, you know, how did it, how did I get this IP address on the on the internet side? But I've got these private subnet space here that nobody can access. That's you know, NAT or network address translation or port forwarding and all these topics are uh, really uh, an important element of, uh, of a successful, you know, skill set that gives you uh, what you need on both sides. Okay, interesting. Now, another thing that I've also uh, come to realize is that uh, most of, 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 of uh, the companies that go down the path of IIT and, and only focus on the technology aspect of it, uh, uh, they, they, they fail to, to realize success uh, mainly because they don't integrate it with, the, with their business processes, like the, not just technologies for its sake. So do you have any thoughts on how they could go about achieving that integration? 
Yeah, and and this is a this is a nascent field to a large degree. Um, and I think uh, um, uh, Rick said it. I uh, actually Rob may have said this as well. But uh, you know, the core of all this is is at the end of the day is where's the data set, and it largely sits in a database. <laughs> it's going to be you know, and, and this could actually come back in your previous question about skill sets, you know, learn a little bit about databases. Um, but, uh, you know, whether it's SQL, whether it's NoSQL, whether it's a TS, uh, a time series database, TSD, whatever. Um, generally, what you'll see on the business processes side of the, of, the, of the fence is that they too are the core of that data set is in a database. So it's, it's the notion of getting that information into the database in a meaningful way. At the end of the day, it's, it's, there, there's one thing I, I listen to a lot of Walker Reynolds, and I'm sure you, you know who he is. Yeah. Uh, he's, I, I love his work, uh, opinionated and, and, and generally right. But one of the things I love that he's, he's focused a lot on right now is uh, the notion of the unified namespace, right? And so it's this, this idea that I can get data into a system and then provide the, you know, the appropriate filtering, the appropriate transitions, whatever, to get it into the formats that software applications can understand. And largely that is a bit of a, you know, an IT process, you know, but it, it starts with a common data format. In the old days, it used to be XML uh, to some degree. Um, and, and currently it's more than likely JSON, but JSON is kind of heavy and, and so on. Uh, you know, today, a lot of people are looking at ways of using a broker to broker the information in a, a standardized format. And of course, there I'm talking about, you know, something like MQTT, Sparkplug B, but there are others out there as well. Uh, and then because that is created, that kind of standard definition, it allows you to look at the organization holistically and identify that namespace, that, that unified namespace that allows us to share data among different applications. But again, at the end of the day, uh, it is gonna be about rather than a business process tied coupled directly uh, to a, a, a piece of uh, data producing equipment, whether it's PLC or whatever, don't do that. Decouple, decouple always. And decouple means, you know, the broker is the server. It's one point to, you know, you get to manage just one port, one server, everybody else is a client and gets the data as they need it. Um, you know, and it could be MQTT, it could be whatever pub sub model it floats your boat. But in general, that's, that's where you start. And then having the connectors that are going to be able to get to that data quickly and easily parse through that namespace, get the data where it needs to go into whatever business application. You know, I love the work, for example, the early work that both Canary, uh, the Canary Historian, um, and, uh, and even HiveMQ have done, uh, particularly in the Sparkplug B space. You know, today I can get a historian from Canary. And instead of tying it to another server, an OPC server that's doing a pull response mechanism and being locked largely into a Windows environment, what they've done is they've created now a Sparkplug B connector. So they can connect directly to the broker, pick the data tags they need to historize, and they get that data on change and they historize into their, they, they basically done that same decoupling. Again, changing a little bit about yeah. how SCADA is done. Um, and, and I think they're very forward thinking on it, but I, I would have to say that the, the number one business, you know, piece of business software glue that's available today, uh, it's, it's ignition and there's some others out there, but you know, these guys at inductive automation got on this game early. And I just told you that business processes rely on databases. Yes. 
the whole ignition platform is built on SQL. And, and that's, you know, that's where you can start creating some of the glue. So if you have business processes that need this data, hopefully they, you know, ideally they have a connector directly to a database or whatever. But in the absence of that, I can start putting in other technologies uh, like the ignition platform that bridge some of those gaps. We have customers doing it today. They're putting MQTT, Sparkplug B everywhere. Oh, shoot, but we have SAP over here. And SAP doesn't necessarily know how to talk to an MQTT server yet. No problem. By putting the ignition software in between, it can grab all that NQTT data, reformat it, and squirt it to SAP. So there, you know, there's a lot of tools that help us get over the hump until everybody gets on board like Canary did. <laughs> okay, that's, that's really awesome. Okay, so now uh, to, to, to close this session uh, off, uh, for some of our audience members here who might not uh, be familiar with uh, Opti22, uh, can you give us a brief background of what uh, Opti22 is. And um, as a follow-up to that question, also uh, provide us with the uh, product offering that uh, Opti22 currently uh, has on the market. Yeah, sure. Thank you for that opportunity. Uh, you know, Opto is a, is a hardware manufacturer. Uh, we're in a, a small town in Temecula, California, just about an hour north of San Diego. Uh, I'm in that building now. Uh, it's where we make everything. Uh, you know, we, we manufacture it, we sell it, we support it, we design it. Everything is done right here in this building. Uh, so we're proud of the fact that for, for your, at least for your North American customers or domestic for us is, uh, you know, made in the USA. Uh, we, um, we've been doing this for 47 years. So when I told you early on about PC-based control, uh, we did that. Uh, the, the company was founded by the co-inventor of the solid state relay, something that we take totally for granted today. But the fundamentals of what we do at Opto are based on those very early technologies. First solid state relay, then PC-based control, then the notion of a PAC or a PAC, uh, a hybrid control system and so on. So our, our history of this, you know, this 47 years has all been building on previous technologies to deliver what we believe is, is an important aspect uh, an important product set to address today's problems. Uh, and that is something that we call an edge programmable industrial controller. I've got a, you probably see it right here next to me. I've got actually a desk cam. I call it my cooking cam because it's like, you know, <laughs> my cooking shows. But yeah, indeed, this is a, a couple of our products that we offer. This is the uh, Groove Epic controller, very similar to the, uh, to the one that's behind me here. Um, but this one's on my desk in, in the form of what we call a learning center. Uh, so that's the Groove Epic uh, and the Groove Epic Learning Center here. And then we also have something called Rio. <clears throat> and Rio is, uh, is remote I.O., but it's way, way more than that. That, you know, again, that notion of does I.O. have to be a server? Does something else have to come and get scan the I.O. constantly to get its data? I say no. Make it a client. It's a, you know, perhaps a server to its instrumentation wired to it. But once I'm in, I have the instrumentation wired to the Rio, send the data where it needs to go. Send it directly to database, send it to a cloud, send it to MQTT broker, send it. It doesn't matter. That's where we see the, the, the real potential. And the notion of a remote IO product that has security, that has the uh, encryption, that has the authentication and can act as a client to virtually any other piece of software, we think that's the future. So that's okay. a little bit about our, our products and about Opto. Okay, awesome. 
So Benson, uh, thank you again for making time to come out to, to the show and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity and, and good luck. Keep going with your uh, uh, very uh, informative and educational uh, s- a series here on Industry 4.0 TV. Okay, thank you.